I can't lie to you about your chances. But... You have my sympathies. Hey everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month we're going to be looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes and using it to determine the best and the worst film in one individual's filmography. It's December 2017 and the patrons at the Penske File, uh, patreon.com slash the Penske File, have decided that Ridley Scott is going to be the director that we talk about. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm joined by Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You know, I think at this point, it's a good time to talk about. I, you know, I've been doing this for a while, and I've never really broached the topic of the bonus situation. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing anything until we talk about the bonus situation. I'm it's, just putting that out there now. It's, it's, it's in the contract, Clay. So you, you, you have to podcast, or uh, the contract will not allow you to, uh, to get your, your shares. I guess. Listen, as they call it I'm going to take this up with the podcast guest stars union and. You will be hearing from our lawyer, I guess. I don't know how unions work. <laughs> let me call. Let me call Dave. <laughs> we're talking about uh, Ridley Scott. This is uh, we're going to be talking about Alien in this podcast, and his his worst one that's coming out in a couple of weeks is going to be a good year. Ridley Scott, Clay. Uh, what's your sort of one sentence takeaway of Ridley Scott? I guess for your, what, how do you view Mr. Scott? Uh, I love Ridley Scott. Um, I think he. <laughs> is a, a visual genius um and when he gets a good script he makes unbelievable movies the times he doesn't um you know i think he a lot of times he still pushes the he he clearly values visuals over you know pretty much everything else which is you know fine sometimes but sometimes the 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 content demands something else and he just doesn't have it um, but I think overall, I think he's great. Uh, and I think he is not afraid to take chances and push the envelope in ways that most people wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's he's one of my my top five favorite directors, I think. He is 80 years old at this point. He was born in 1937. He's known for a bunch of uh, famous movies. Obviously, Alien we're going to be talking about in 79. Blade Runner came out in 82. He won the Best Picture with Gladiator in 2000. And The Martian is actually his biggest hit in 2015. It made the most Good money. Movie. Um, his other film, he has a filmography that's very all over the place. His other films include Thelma and Louise, G.I. Jane, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Robin Hood, and Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Uh, Clay, do you know yeah, the, he, the, the, the was, three Director Academy Awards he was nominated for? Uh, director? Yeah, Director. Uh, probably Gladiator. Yep. Um, uh, Black Hawk Down? Yep. And then the third and, one. I don't know. Legend. Black Rain. Thelma and Louise. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, he's he's the king. I think he's one of the kings of Oh crap, I didn't realize he made that. Yes. You know, I, like he's got he's got these big, big high high watermarks in his career. And even his like B level movies are very well known movies. Yeah. But then he's got a lot of movies that you would never even think he was attached to yeah that's my sense like gi jane i would have never guessed ridley scott directed gi jane and oh, also yeah, at, the, at the same time i know it but when someone says who directed gladiator i always have to go i think it's ridley scott like it's never a um 
he, his name is difficult to pin to anything besides yeah. Alien, in, in my opinion. And Blade I mean, Runner, Hannibal? I yeah, right, Hannibal. Yeah. You know, that's... Even Black Hawk Down, I wouldn't say, is a Ridley Scott uh, feature or anything like that. It's kind of an interesting yeah. take, yeah. Yeah, he's he's... He's a bit of a he can be a bit of a chameleon sometimes, um, but you know I think his movies always. That's why I'm actually kind of interested to watch. Was it called a good year? A good year. Ugh, oh, that's the Russell Crowe with like the pool. Uh, he's he's he Albert Finney. I think it's Albert Finney or something. Is it? It's a a vineyard in Martha's Vineyard or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like, this is like under the Tuscan sun with a dick, basically. <laughs> I think. Uh, I'm. Patron Kyle uh, bought uh, bought it online for uh, a pound, uh, which is like an American dollar, basically. So if you if you're looking for a copy, they didn't make a Blu-ray, shockingly, of that movie. But you might need to go out to a uh, local used DVD center. You can get one. Did he already watch that? Is that his, his thing now? He's going to watch the second one first every time? <laughs> Maybe. I didn't tell him. We'll, we'll probably switch up the order, I think. Uh, on these ones, we'll do the best first. And once we get back to an actor, we'll do the worst first. And then uh, worst, worst first for a director. But in this order, we're doing Alien. And then we're going to do a good year. But um, I'm, I'm curious to see that only because it looks terrible. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to see if there is... A, if I can figure out why he made it, and B, if there's anything, like, worth taking away from it. Well, it's the only rom-com out of that list of movies I listed, right? So it's clearly... That's his, true. It's, it's Is clear- it a rom-com, though? Yeah, it's a rom-com. That's what they. Oh. That's what it's called. Yeah. So uh, he must have just been like, you know what, I'm... I'm 75 years old i guess i should just make every kind of movie just to have one uh sort of on my imdb page and we'll go from there it's but like Scott's it's work- like how oh, sorry i was gonna say it's like how spielberg has all of his big ones and all of his second tier ones and then he's got that one where tom hanks is just stuck in an airport for like a year or something yep yep uh what, what, sure. is, what is that is that called the airport i forget what that one's that one's actually called uh, terminal it? terminal that's right terminal there you go uh, Scott's work, I'm ripping this from the internet, is identified for its striking visuals with heroines, uh, also a common theme of his narratives. His visual style incorporating a detailed approach to production design and innovative atmospheric lighting has been influential on a subsequent generation of filmmakers. He commonly uses slow pacing in his action movies. Um, He's, that's kind of the, that's a, that's a big takeaway for me is his, uh, yeah. his lighting and stuff. We'll get more into the alien, but the, the lighting of alien and everything is very, uh, unique and it's something that's sort of a hallmark of his. Yeah. And I mean, he, he basically defined the look of science fiction for 30 years Yep, between this movie and Blade Runner, everything that came after it that took place in the future or wanted to be a sci-fi movie basically was ripping those guys off yep um we mentioned and, you know, you could, event horizon now everything looks like the uh the nostromo yeah. and event horizon i mean and you can you can look at alien and and say that oh well he took some a lot of stuff from like 2001 and and some other places like that but i mean it's just it's just where the bar moves up it's like you know there was bobby Orr and then there was wayne gretzky and it's ridley scott is like the next version of the sci-fi uh, copycat. Yep. I, so let me let me rephrase that. Um, he's the person that everybody copies afterwards. Sure. And for you European listeners, we'll just switch the names Pele and Ronaldo or something <laughs> like that, and you'll understand what we're talking about. Um, there's I, I usually do a little blurb about the director. Ridley Scott doesn't really have an interesting story. Uh, he's pretty much a straight ahead. He grew yeah. up in England. He went to Royal College of Art. Uh, he was hired as a set designer at the BBC in the 60s. And in 1965, he's got his first director gigs working at the BBC. He worked on a show called Adam Adamant Lives, which I'd never heard of. 
Um, he made commercials through the 70s. His commercial Bike Round was voted in 2006 to be the best UK ad of all time. So if people are interested, you can look up Bike Round. Um, he comes. He from a- did... Um, I think he did the 1984 commercial, didn't he? The uh, Apple... 1984 yes, commercial? Yes. Yep, yeah. he did. He did that, yep. Uh, he comes from a family of directors, his late brother Tony, his sons Luke and Jake, and he has a daughter Jordan, who are all commercial directors. Uh, the Duelists, 1977, was his first feature. Alien oh, I love came- The Duelists. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I love it. I, I have not seen it. Alien came out in 1979. Um, he has a pretty standard career. There's really nothing, there's no crazy story to him getting into it. He just kind of got into it became a commercial director, and then branched out into feature films and has had a very successful career since then. The Duelists is like uh, Barry Lyndon if it wasn't boring. Okay. <laughs> and I say that as someone who loves Barry Lyndon, but it's it's Barry, It's Barry. like someone watched Barry Lyndon and was like, man, I love everything about this except the pace. Sure. So and he, let's pump it up a little bit. <laughs> you went around fixing that. He's had a pretty standard career. I listed all the movies he's done. He does a movie every couple of years. None of them are particularly egregious i don't think like a good year is even a 25 percent around tomatoes which wasn't which isn't a failure well it is a failure but it's not a um it's not a zero certainly it's no christmas eve gladiator <laughs> won best picture in 2000 um he directed alien 1979 and that will come back uh i guess we'll just kick off the alien discussion at this point um, i will say the one thing i'll say about him is i feel like the major criticism of him is generally that he I think I said a little bit earlier that he's too focused on on visuals. And so when his movies don't work, they usually don't work because the story is lacking or the, the performances are cold or something. But I've never felt that they are exceptionally that way. Like even Blade Runner. I know people shit on Blade Runner a lot because it's, you know, the plot's pretty thin and, and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, he's he's really good at casting movies. Yeah, and he very, very rarely casts someone who can't pull off what they have to do, even if it's not, you know, Citizen Kane. Right, and I, I think that that, that criticism will tie into the problems that people would have had with the Prometheus and Alien Covenant movies that he later directed. Uh, he returned the series with Prometheus and Alien Covenant after directing Alien and then taking off a couple movies, obviously, um, because the Alien story is a very simple story that is not particularly interested in the details of what's going on. It just kind of hints at what's going on in the background of this. Right. It implies a huge universe. It's very Star Wars-y in that way. It implies that there's a lot going on in the universe, but it only gives you little tidbits of information about, like, the company is only mentioned once. Um, they don't really mention what the the mission... Like, they don't go in-depth on what this crew is doing out in space. They don't go in-depth on where the aliens came from or what the ship is that they find at the start of Alien. And once you start branching into Prometheus and Alien Covenant, where you're trying to explain this incredibly detailed backstory to everything, uh, you kind of need better... You need a different kind of storytelling than what Alien's storytelling is. And yeah. Alien holds up... For me, it's Alien might be one of the movies I've seen the most out of any movie. I feel like I've watched it, you know, dozens of times by this point. Um, it's aged remarkably well. It's just a very simple, easy thing to watch that is really just a really well made. It's obviously at ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes and everything like that. But I don't know, Clay. How do you how do you want to start off this one? Because my fear of this podcast and not not just this podcast, but like the the concept is that eventually 
we've had other topics we didn't want to do on like the Patreon podcast because it's like, well, people have already talked about that enough. Like what, what else am I going to say about um, Pulp Fiction or something like that? Alien is kind of in that sphere. Although I was wondering if you thought there was anything else uh, sort of different about it or what you would want to avoid about talking about Alien. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what to avoid. It's, I think it's, you know, it is kind of interesting to me that you brought up Star Wars because I think, um, as far as the Alien franchise goes, this does feel like the way A New Hope feels when you go back and you watch the entire series knowing what you know now about Star Wars. Like, when we did our Star Wars podcast, one of the things that we kind of pulled out that I I didn't really fully appreciate until we started until we watched them and started talking about it is how Star Wars is just sort of like giving you the outer edge of of this story and it's not until Empire Strikes Back where you really start to get the details of it and when you think back about the franchise and the characters and the situations you're not really thinking about A New Hope you're thinking about Empire Strikes Back yeah and I think that applies to this movie as well because there is so little um, information given about the world outside of the spaceship. You just get just get enough to move things along. But those little bits end up being amplified in the next movie. And so when you think about Alien, you think, well, obviously Xenomorph, which is not a word that's used in this movie. No. Uh, oh, obviously someone has to some, – one of the crew members has to be a robot. Well – they didn't know he was a robot in this movie until they knocked his head off with a pipe. <laughs> right. So that was clearly a surprise. It wasn't just part of the thing. Um, Wayland Yutani. I don't know if they use that name in the. I can't remember if they use the name in the in this movie. They, 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 they never say it. It might be printed somewhere and you never see it. Although I, I'd be more inclined to believe it just comes in later. Yeah, but you know there is the mention of a company and the company has. Uh, dastardly um uh, motivations i'd say which it's more is that then ampl- the, the company has a the company has a sort of political bent to them yeah. where you they're they're not just you don't it's not just that you work for the company the company determines what you do right right which you know they amplify in the in the next movie and 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 so on uh but yeah but this one it's just it's very it gives i mean even the alien itself you only see you know bits and pieces of it and for the better i think because Walking, watching that dude walk around in that suit would have been pretty goofy. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to what I consider to be the worst part of the movie uh, shortly, but it has to do with that. Um, but yeah, it, it it is. It fascinates me that they ended up in this franchise going so deep into explaining stuff. Which I mean, I guess you, I don't know. Is I, there's got to be a way around that because every time they do it, almost every time, I can't think of a time that they've done it and it hasn't it hasn't been bad. Right. Like it, it always ends up being unsatisfying or something. At least in Prometheus, you know, I most people don't like that movie. I love that movie, not for rational reasons. Probably, I don't think it's a great movie as in the quote unquote great movie definition. Sure. Um, but one of the things I love about it is he's taking chances with it and not just giving you another alien movie. He's making it. He's kind of blowing everything wide open. Uh, I, like the last thing I would say about Prometheus is that it was like the movie you expected to get. Right. It's not Whereas the J.J. Abrams making a yeah. reboot. Yeah. Alien Covenant is the movie you kind of expected to get. 
Uh, well, with a couple stupid uh, – <laughs> that movie's terrible. Um, but Prometheus, at the very least, he he's kind of just like cracking the concept as, as a whole wide open instead of just being like, hey, let's talk about where the xenomorph comes from. It's like it's – that's not the only thing. It's just so much wider um, because – and I kind of lost my, my train. But the uh, my point was um, it surprises me that – this series got so specific in a lot of its uh, backstory and elements because the first one is so vague. Yeah, yeah, and that's where that's where the um, that's what makes so much of it work. And as much as I do love Prometheus, it does still surprise me that he decided to go the way he did because what makes Alien work so well is the unknown as it's you know it's fear of the unknown writ large basically yeah and when you get to prometheus it's kind of like we're gonna ex- it's still pretty weird and out there and unknown but we're gonna kind of explain everything for you so it's it's surprising to me that he chose to be so explanatory when the original one was so what made it work was the fear of the unknown yeah i mean it's it's tough because i was listening to another podcast that um was comparing uh, Star Wars: A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back, and, uh-huh. and I think that I, I had gone into it previously thinking that I liked Empire a little bit better. I think the argument they made about New Hope actually makes me think that New Hope might be my favorite. New Hope was always my number two, mm-hmm. but I think it has to come into that whole the whole idea that New Hope and Alien can kind of stand on their own in a way that mm-hmm. Empire and Aliens and everything that came after Aliens can't do on a way like they're dependent on their source material yes and no i i think you can watch aliens without watching alien and still and still have it work i don't think you need to see the first one um empire strikes back is probably a different situation yep yep um the thing with aliens that i actually really noticed this time when i was watching alien is uh as much as i love aliens i don't think i entirely recognized how much aliens is just stylistically more of what ridley scott was doing like even down to the the final sequence where it's sigourney weaver running around through strobe lights with a flamethrower that's the exact same way aliens ends only it's bigger right yeah yeah and uh i i don't think i you know i think obviously james cameron is 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 very good at what he does um but i don't think i entirely realized how much of a of just a style transfer aliens is but the the and we'll get into a specifics about alien um but i was reading that someone had also said that the the first three at least alien movies are just each director's take on the same story basically more or less yeah Yeah, so you you the setup especially alien three alien three is just alien one but shittier right yeah but it's it's a very much a fincher um take on things like it's a very it very much looks like his sort of um his vision of how things would come through mm-hmm. and i think that the the reason alien is successful is because it's it's that base template for things like it, it gives you a little bit of information but it doesn't give you a whole bunch of information and I think that the problem that the sequels have played into is that the information that it hints at is actually really interesting and you do want to explore it. It's just I'm not sure there's a good way to understand what this race is without getting super complicated about what's yeah. going on. Like there's no way to simply explain what the alien is in a way that would be satisfying to anybody, even though the 
Alien, the movie, hints at all this stuff, but it doesn't need to go into it because it's not relevant to what the story is. And, yeah. And I think that um, the the original Alien is just such a... It's such a nice, watchable movie in a lot of ways. Like it's a, you, you kind of you pick up new things every time, but it's not you don't have to pay super a lot of attention to it in a lot of ways. But it's mm. it's very interesting. It holds together very well. You can miss out parts of it, but if you watch it actively, as I did last night, it's it still holds your attention the whole way through. Mm. Uh, the build is very nice and everything like that. It's just a, I it, and it's it's tough to. It doesn't feel like a seventies movie to me. It feels much more modern in a sense. It feels very uh, Jaws like in that way, and it's being compared to Jaws in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's it it's a just how much of a like a Godfather it is to all the other movies that came after it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it falls in line with the trend that, you know, I've been noticing as we've been doing these uh, podcasts, um, not just the, the real the real ripe and real rotten, but the other movie podcasts we've done and, and even the Star Trek ones, too, to an extent. It's a it's a simple story and they just make the fuck out of it. Yep, it's just it's a super simple story and they just crank it to eleven. So the I'll give you a brief uh, description. We have some information. After a space merchant vessel perceives an unknown transmission as a distress call, its landing on the source moon finds that one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. Directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon, story goes to O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. Uh, HR, is it Geiger? Is that how you pronounce his name, or Giger? Uh, it's either Geiger or Giger, I think. Okay, yeah, Geiger would have an E, I'd assume, but HR, we'll call him that. He designed the creature. Um, it was originally based off a, an idea called Memory. O'Bannon had written 30 pages of a script called Memory, um, which was about a crew of astronauts awakening to find that their voyage home has been interrupted because they're receiving a signal from a mysterious planet. He didn't know how to continue, though, because he didn't know what the antagonist of the story was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he returned to L.A., and he lived with this co-writer person, and they, uh, they wanted to flesh out this Memory script. Uh, the shoe set suggested O'Ban use one of his other film ideas about gremlins infiltrating a B-17 bomber during World War II. It's funny, the lives of writers, screenwriters, who just have these ideas floating around. Um, yeah. He wanted to set it on the spaceship of the, as the second half of the story. So they wanted to have a gremlin infiltrate the ship. Um, the working title of Alien was called Star Beast. <laughs> <laughs> O'Bannon disliked it and he changed it to Alien after noting the number of times that the word appeared in the script and they liked the simplicity of the title. Could you imagine if there was a scene in this where someone was just like, we have to get rid of this star beast. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like really like really with sincerely delivering that line. I'd imagine it would probably... Can't keep dealing with this star beast. It'd probably be a Parker line, I would assume. He seems like the kind of guy who would say star beast. Um, it's pitches Jaws in Space. O'Bannon originally thought he was going to direct, but it went to Ridley Scott. Producers wanted a director. Their main concern about a director was that they wanted someone who wouldn't make a B-monster movie with this idea. Yeah. Uh, well, then if, if they had let Dan O'Bannon do it, that's what, that's it, what, it, would what it would have been. So <laughs> Scott's storyboards apparently so impressed the producers at 20th Century Fox that they doubled the budget to give him yeah. the funding uh, to be able to do this. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're great. He is a really good artist. Is he? he yeah. Uh, um, he, according to him, he storyboarded the entire movie uh, as part of his pitch, yep. which is not easy to do. And he, um, I don't know if, are you familiar with Mobius, the comic book artist? No, I don't think so. Um, check him out. He's very famous uh, French artist, M-O-B, M-O-E-B-I-U-S. 
he was very popular in the 70s um, in heavy metal magazine and 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 those sorts of uh, sci-fi things. He worked with uh, he did a bunch of comics with Alejandro Jodorowsky when he started doing comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ridley Scott is clearly a huge fan of his. His art looks a lot like Mobius's stuff. It looks like you know someone trying to draw like Mobius, but he's good. He's 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 very good. Um, I couple years ago I got one of those the complete story of alien books or whatever it was and it had all these cool little inserts and one of the inserts was reproductions of of Ridley Scott storyboards which mm-hmm. are very cool. Oh. I, I recommend looking them up if you can find them. Um, Mobius actually interesting story I mean you know uh, un- <laughs> unless uh, just in case this is your first uh, thing you've ever listened to about alien uh, or the history <laughs> of alien um Joe Dorowski, Alejandro Jodorowsky, who's a, uh, uh, I think he's, I can't remember if he's Spanish or if he's Argentinian or something, um, filmmaker, was on tap to do Dune. And uh, he has a very out there style and ethos. Uh, and all of his visuals are very, very crazy. And as part of Dune, he put together a team of Mobius. And he was good friends with Mobius and H.R. Giger and uh, I want to say S- not Sid Mead, but the other guy. Maybe it was Sid Mead. I don't know. One of those one – one of the two like really famous um, concept artists, sci-fi concept artists. And that movie ended up falling apart, but there was this unbelievable tome of pre-production work that they put together with all of these artists. And uh, basically what Ridley Scott did was I think he saw that and just stole the team after sure. the, the movie fell apart. So he had uh, uh, Giger doing designs for Alien, obviously. And um, I think Mobius might have worked on Blade Runner. I can't remember. But the uh, concept artist guys definitely did. So he basically – where Ridley Scott is credited as – being the father of the modern sci-fi image, it's really Jodorowsky because he put together the the team that ended up, you know, uh, being the people who created all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Rid- although I think I think Ridley Scott probably used it more effectively because Jodorowsky is is if you've ever seen his movies, they are fucking weird. Sure. And Not I don't think. Yeah, I don't think Jodorowsky's Dune. I would love to see it, but it would have made it would have been a huge bomb. And I don't think the style would really pro- – it probably wouldn't have in, uh, infiltrated the zeitgeist of filmmaking the way that, that Alien and Blade Runner did. Right, right. Um, yeah, when uh, the influence for the Alien is based on a Geiger uh, painting called Necronom 4. Uh, it looks basically like the Alien. It is the Alien that he designed. Uh, the producers at Fox were concerned the design was too ghastly. That's their words for audiences. <laughs> um yeah, and I think that the you know that means the, it looked too much like a penis. Basically, yeah. And, the, and if you look at this uh, Necronom four painting, it's it's definitely very phallic. Um, yeah, I think that it's a it's a movie that the style is pretty much ninety percent of it, almost on some level. Yeah. Um, you could probably listen. I don't know if this podcast is capable of doing it. There's probably a lot of breakdowns about how the ship looks and how the alien looks compared to it. Their their original thing was to have the ship be very mechanical looking and have the alien look very biologically mechanical Mm. on some level Mm -hmm. um and it's it's an influential alien design that you kind of take for granted now even though it it's 
seems totally unique and comes from nowhere uh, to, you know, just to how much it's actually influenced the become part of the cultural zeitgeist and everything like that. But it's, it's a really, if you think about it, it's really unlike anything else that's ever been out there for movies in terms of alien design. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, before or after it, well, after it, they kind of, you know, tried to rip it off, but um, it, it's or expand it, it to, to explain yeah, like expand why it. why why it looks this way and stuff because well, I, I just I just mean like outside of the franchise. Oh, I say, I say. You know, it's it's not real. It's it's almost something that you can't rip off because you'd so clearly be ripping it off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it is it is iconic and instantly recognizable, and it is yeah, it's completely unique. Do uh, so. I guess we can just we'll just get into Alien at this point, which uh, I, again I watched last night. I'll 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 make my pitch here. I've started um, just because of the, the having the kid and the the road outside the house kind of can get noisy at points. I've started watching movies with headphones on, <laughs> and um, I it's weird watching movies with headphones on. Do you ever do it, Clay, or do you ever have to um, do it for some, some things? Not just watching it on like a um, tablet or something, but like if you're watching it on the TV and using headphones. No, I can't say I've ever done that. If I have it, I haven't done it in a long time. I, I'd i be curious to see. How, how was it as an experience? There is so much dialogue in this that is so quiet I've never heard it before. There's um, – yeah. You know the scene there's the, the big scene is when after there's only four of them left when there's Ash, Ripley, Parker and Lambert are left and they're talking in the sort of dining hall scene. Yep. There's a scene where Ripley and Parker yell at each other and it's almost like the scene was improv because they didn't mic the actor who's playing Parker because you can't hear his responses to what Ripley is saying. Yeah. You can kind of hear it with headphones, but it's also it's just the sound design really comes through on headphones in a way that I can't get when I'm watching the TV speakers. Like you, it feels very immersive and you, you miss little lines of stuff. Like when they're looking for the alien, there's sort of lines that Ripley's muttering under her breath and the, the actors aren't even on screen yet, but you're hearing this stuff that I'd never noticed them saying when I'm just watching it in a, like a noisy environment or just on the TV or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I think this is a movie that's really well suited for that because the atmosphere is the entire thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, th- if I remember correctly, a lot of that stuff did have improv elements to it. Um, <clears throat> because basically what he, wa- what Scott wanted to do was cast the movie well enough that he wouldn't really need to tell them how to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, cause he's he, a young he director focus. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. This was only his second movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he wanted to do that so he could wouldn't really have to worry about the actors and could just focus primarily on the visuals, which obviously is where the work need to come from. And I think he he succeeds very well in picking a great cast of people who are just, you know, they they seem they act like they are have been a crew that yep. have been on the ship together for a long time, and they converse in a very natural way. And um, it, yeah, even even that stuff, even the way that they're talking, adds to the the layers of atmosphere to the movie. Yeah. So I I, I should try. I'll have to set that up. I would like to watch a movie like this with headphones, but that would be pretty. Cool. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it for a lot of movies. Here's what Roger Ebert had to say on the casting: None of the actors are particularly young. Tom, Tom Skerritt, the captain, was 46. Hurt was 39, but looked older. Holm was 48. Harry Dean Stanton was 53. Yafik Koto was 42. Only Veronica Cartwright at 30 and Sigourney Weaver at 29 were in the age range in the usual thriller 
cast. Many recent action pictures have improbably young actors cast as key roles or sidekicks, but by skewing older, Alien achieves a certain texture without even making a point of it. These are not adventurers, but workers hired by a company to return 20 million tons of ore to Earth. You know, I've I've noticed that in the past, I don't know, let's say 20 years of movies. It's probably longer than that, but maybe I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I've I've really started to notice how young a lot of actors are and look. Yeah, yep. And specifically in more modern stuff, and I think back to movies like this or to like Indiana Jones or 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 anything like that where I don't feel that like I feel like they are younger, but they're not presented as young people. Sure. Uh, like Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford was probably he was probably in his thirties, I think, when he did that, right? The uh, the would probably 30? be yeah. Well, I guess like mid yeah, thirties. Yeah, mid thirties, I would think maybe is a safe bet. Yeah, but he you know he doesn't seem like a young guy. He doesn't seem like an old guy. He just seems like an appropriately aged character. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, if you go back and you look at Superman, uh, Christopher Reeve, I think, was super young when he did that. And he doesn't feel super young. Uh, he feels like an appropriately aged person. And It's all hairstyles, I think. Yeah, yeah. and it and it really adds to the believability of, of a lot of this stuff. Like, it, Yeah, yeah. When you get to the point where it's like, this is clearly a 25 or 28-year-old person playing, like, a doctor or something. It's even. I mean, I mean, there are obviously twenty-eight-year-old people who are doctors, but it just doesn't feel right. Well, I, I'm surprised. And that, I tell them that every time I see them. <laughs> I'm surprised that Sigourney Weaver was twenty-nine in this movie. Yeah, yeah, that surprises me too. Not that she looks like she's old. No, but she doesn't. She, doesn't... Look old. she she carries herself much older than that. I feel like or something. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Huh? Yeah. That, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. And even uh, Veronica Cartwright at thirty, she feels like she's older than thirty in that in that movie. Um, yeah, uh, John Hurt. I'm not convinced was ever younger than right. 45. <laughs> he's, he's always been that way. Um, so let's talk about the the sort of the the neat little flip here. Tom Skerritt is the number one build actor, right? But and I think it's impossible to watch this movie not knowing that Sigourney Weaver is actually the star of it. But the movie yeah. does a, a good job of flipping what's going on and keeping you off balance as to who. You know, the, the end result, if you had never seen this before, is kind of a surprise if you were just watching the movie through for the first time, that Sigourney Weaver is the one who makes it off the ship. And mm-hmm. I'm actually always surprised by once it's down to the final four, it's not the final four that I would have ever expected to be the last four people alive, which is Parker, Lambert, Sigourney Weaver, and Ash. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I don't think I ever really realized how well um, thought out who to kill and when to do it is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot more thoughtful than most movies like this are because if you look at the way that and the uh, order in which people are killed, um, it really works every time to kind of shake things up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, Kane is kind of expendable. He's sort of like the catalyst, really. Uh, but once once the alien shows up and starts killing people... Uh, What's his name? Um, Harry Dean Stanton's character is kind of yeah, Brett. He's kind of he's kind of the expendable first kill, the kind of guy you would expect to kind of get the ball rolling. But yep. then killing Dallas, killing the captain, immediately um, gives you this element of chaos, uh, which is um, shown among the rest of the the crew because they all start freaking out after the captain gets killed. Do you, Do you think the uh, movie justifies Dallas doing that? job checking it out Lambert you may be getting interference Dallas are you sure there is no sign of it I mean it is there 
Do you think it matters? Like, I agree with you that it works and it's important. I never really, I always watch that scene wondering why he's the one that does what he has, what he does in that scene. It's, it's, yeah, I, I never guess, really get into it. I guess arguably you could say that Parker probably should do that job. You racist. <laughs> <laughs> and that would fit the horror trope, but yeah. I, I, no, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, just because of what Parker's character is. Yeah, or he's the, the engineer or, who, who would yeah, be, I mean, he would know the ship, I think. Yeah, if you need someone to go hiking through tunnels, you would think it would be him. Yes, I'd agree. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely takes the safety valve off of what, what's happening when you, when you kill the captain. Yeah. And then uh, killing Ash gives you that great reveal of, of the robot. And um, but Dallas also has to go because it's the only way that Ripley can get access to Mother. Right, right. So that, yeah. that's a very. It is important that Dallas dies. It's just it, it. It always his volunteering, even though he doesn't seem particularly like he wants to do it, is never particularly greatly justified. Although I think it's a. Uh, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. The death of yeah. Dallas is really well done. Just the yeah, whole, um, the way that. The way that they're tracking him, which is funny that she can tell anything from a little dot moving on that screen, yeah. that she's like, he's down two levels from you. And then to just do uh, Skerritt's reaction of Dallas, of just like the nervousness creeping in where he's like, I want to get out now. Um, yeah. Is great. And I mean, him running, you know, scurrying around in those tight tunnels lit only with, you know, the uh, pilot light of his uh, uh, flamethrower there is, is pretty great, too. Yeah. I think he might have a lantern. I can't remember. But it's it's very minimally lit and it's very claustrophobic and sweaty and it's 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 good something something about the the, the ship is huge right the size of this the nostromo um yeah I, something I, I always kind of i don't know if it matters i never get the feeling that the ship is huge through the movie uh if it, it feels yeah. actually more claustrophobic than the ship implies which is which is interesting maybe a whole i assume a lot of the ship is just carrying rock and there's no reason to go into it but you know, it's it struck me in the the scene where um, Brett goes into he's looking for the cat right before he gets killed. Right, he goes into like that chain water dripping from the ceiling chain room. Yeah, and it struck me that in a new movie, if you were going to make this, it, there would be many more scenes of CGI huge open spaces that they're looking out into, and they they since they didn't have that technology, everything feels much smaller and claustrophobic. Yeah, I always kind of forget that the Nostromo is that is the is the whole ship, right? And because when I think about it, I think about it just being the drop ship that they use to go down to the planet. Yes, right. Um, because that makes more sense spatially for it to be that tight. Um, and it's it's interesting too because you know it's it's kind of fun that they tell you that the ship is so big, but they specifically don't show how don't. 
I mean, obviously because of limitations of budget and sets and stuff, and you were saying they didn't have CGI in order to do it, but it works to their advantage because just sh- all of the spaces they're showing you are so small that it takes it makes it feel very claustrophobic, which is integral integral to the 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 story working. Yes, right. Like if you yeah. if you had these scenes of you know Parker or 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 Brett walking through like this giant CGI. Uh, shipping room, or or like the the room that they land the 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 ships in on the Death Star kind of room, or right, something yeah. like that. Car, big just because, back. yeah, just because you can do that, it's like, well, that that kind of open space isn't scary. Like, there's not that doesn't that just releases a lot of the tension that you're building into your tight tight story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um it's something that I just it's something that Amy had mentioned while she's watching. She's just like, "Why well, the ship is so big?" But you, you never really get a, you never go exploring in in the ship. And I I agree with it. I just don't think it. I actually think a way around it would be what you were saying is that they only exist in the little dropship type thing. Yeah. Like that's the only part that they can actually go into for whatever reason, or there's no reason to go into the other thing, which is just a big storage space. Yeah. Um, and what and what they do also, which is very smart, is the first thing you see in the movie is the ship. Um. You basically get a visual tour of the, all the spaces where stuff is going to happen. Right. Yeah. So you're you're already familiarized, even kind of subliminally, with the layout of the ship. Maybe not the layout, but it just it, at least what the different elements of the ship are. Um, which you know, at the time, honestly, at the time, it might have felt big. It might have felt huge. Yeah. Because if true. you think about think back on on sci-fi movies up to that point that have f- prominently featured spaceships. You've got Star Wars. You see, like, the one room in the Millennium Falcon. I've been watching Star Wars for 30-whatever years. I still don't know what the layout of the Millennium Falcon is. It's a a circle with a room in the middle. Yeah, you have have two rooms. You have the the, the, uh, the, the cockpit. And the room with the floaty ball sequence in it. And that's it. <laughs> like, But that's a huge ship. Or uh, what's oh, – shit, I just had another one I was thinking of. There's um, the gunner room, I suppose, too, in uh, the Millennium Even Falcon. that, I don't know where that is. Like the the, 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 the the physics of how he gets to there still <laughs> confuses me to this day. Uh, but I, I just I had, I had another one I was going to use as an example. But usually, usually they don't show you a lot of the ship. And I think um, they give you a lot of the ship – a lot of different rooms in the ship, um, which I think probably at the time made it feel bigger than it does now. Yeah, and uh, the what's nice about that introduction sequence is that it still fits into um, Ridley Scott's sort of lighting aesthetic. It's a very, it's probably the darkest view of space you've ever seen. It's it's a, yeah. it's not lit whatsoever, especially when they approach the planet LV, whatever that number is. Um, mm-hmm. you can barely see the outline of the planet in the background that they're approaching. It's it's very dark, oh, it's very uh, atmospheric. Yeah, and I, you know, obscuring obscuring the visuals goes a long way um, to setting the mood, and also just it keeps you on your toes because you're not exactly sure what you're looking at. Like the first, uh, and I, I mean, a lot of that is due to you know, budgetary restraints and having to figure out a way to sell this stuff on a limited, you know, how do you sell this miniature of this weird looking spaceship? How do you sell this silly costume? But, you know, it works. It really, really works effectively. Like the first time that they show the uh, Space Hulk there, the, 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 the crash ship, he shoots it with like a shitty video camera. Yeah. <laughs> so you're watching it through a monitor and it's like this really shitty, um, you know, 
video footage where the tracking is all missed, uh, messed up. And, you know, now everybody knows what that ship looks like, so you can clearly make it out. But if that's the first time you're seeing that, yeah. you don't know what the hell that thing is. Right, yeah. Then, you know, when they get inside it, I mean, you want to talk about a big ship. They they do show you how big that ship is when they get inside of it. Yeah. But even that, it's just like, it's just dark. And you're just getting a feel for the 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 texture on the walls because they have flashlights, basically. How how was that done? The space jockey scene. It was kids, right? Was it little kids in spacesuits? Um, I feel like they were they were shot with smaller scene, people or something like that. I think so. I think there was a combination of things. I know that they used Ridley Scott's kids actually. Okay. In the spacesuits in one of the exterior scenes, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was that one. Yeah, they definitely did do that. I don't remember if it was there. I feel like, yeah, yeah, maybe it was. That may, that would make sense because I've seen. I was gonna say there might be a matte matte painting element, but I think you're right. I think it might be just that they use smaller people. Yeah, because and... I've seen him. I've seen really Scott standing next to that that prop, and oh, it's he... huge. Okay, all right. So, so they definitely built it, and I think they did use. I think they did use smaller people for that. So I, I think they used his kids for that. Yeah, it, I mean that that set is uh, interesting. It, it just goes. Uh, I, I I believe I was reading that the producers were concerned about the expense of building that set because it's in relatively little of the movie. Um, yeah, very iconic though. Very important oh, yeah, to like the whole thing. Do you see, and it's just the. You know, it's a story element. You just introduce this. You know, he came came to be known as the space jockey, but you just introduce this thing, and you don't. They don't even care about it, really. Like the characters aren't interested, which is a, you know, it's it's kind of neat in this universe that they've obviously already run into alien life forms because no one is surprised by this thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they, uh, I think they have a line later that the the facehugger is unlike any other species that they've ever encountered before. So, I am really glad though that in the future movies they didn't have like a cantina scene. Where it's like Ripley getting a beer in a room full of just crazy different yeah, right. species that they've come across. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Yeah, yeah, that really would have changed the tenor of the movie. It does. I, I actually was wondering if, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because you don't want to have the crew spending too much time on like, wow, I can't believe there's an alien here. Um, so you kind of skip around that, and then he, the, uh, Kane goes into the egg room and things like that. I will the, say, I will say, it implies that they've come across alien life forms before, but it doesn't mean that they've come across like intelligent alien yeah, life I, I, I shouldn't say yeah. intelligent but like yeah humanoid like it's if i it feels like they've come across like birds or other sorts sorts of species but maybe not so much humanoid right yeah yeah and i think i'd agree with that i mean do you think that the do you, do you think that the movie implies anything about the ship at this point uh, the alien ship? Yeah, the alien ship. I mean, it, it, Sigourney Weaver figures out, Ripley figures out that it's supposed to be a warning signal, not an SOS signal. That's like mm-hmm. the only real implication that you get about this. They obviously flesh out that, that backstory going forward in the different movies. But I, I, I feel like it's a... If I was watching this movie, it would be something like, that you'd talk about after, like after seeing it in the cinemas in 79, you'd be like, what was the, what was the deal with that ship? That was kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure people did do that. Yeah. Excuse me. Oh God, sorry. Um, I feel like in retrospect, though, maybe. I mean, he did have probably had an alien growing inside his chest and wasn't thinking straight, but maybe he shouldn't have said anything, 
And so people couldn't have mis- misinterpreted his, war- his warning sign oh, sure. as an SOS. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that scene, that almost seems like that's a that's a detail that's kind of weird. I think. Like uh, I I guess in my head I just assumed that uh, it, it was a signal planted by the company or something like that. But I oh, guess you're right. It is. Oh yeah. But does that? But I guess. You... Sorry. Go ahead. Well, no. Is and what's your understanding here? Does the company know about that alien ship before they uh, the Nostromo finds it? They must, right? They they know they that to, that yeah. yeah they have to know that it's out there because they put ash on the ship. So right, I, I right. guess that makes sense because would the signal have been? Well, I guess you're just kind of breaking down the plot too much. They're like, oh, I, I wonder what humans' uh, ability to determine a totally alien signal, whether it's a warning or an SOS, would be. I would be a problem. I would have to consider. But yeah. they also don't bring up the fact that it's it's no one has a line about like it's surprisingly human or something like that and drawing us in or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know it's 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 interesting. I, I think it's um, yeah, because I mean the company would have to have known that that thing was there but like what sort of contact did they have like they clearly they clearly they knew it was an important species to bring back yep so they know the crew is expendable before right they know yeah. that this thing is I obviously guess, dangerous i guess i guess these questions we're asking they're not like it's not like a plot hole or anything it is just a question that you want to ask because there's no you know you don't need an answer to it does covenant not cover um, this kind of stuff uh, I honestly don't remember. Okay, I I because Covenant, Covenant is a prequel to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Covenant is pretty removed from like companies and stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, it ends with it ends with Fastbender sneaking a um face hugger like embryo onto their ship. Yep, and like bringing it back to earth i guess but aside from that it's sort of removed from uh from the company stuff okay, okay. it's more concerned about and what's more concerned about homoerotically teaching yourself how to play the flute <laughs> which <laughs> i'm not joking that's that happens and it's really weird that's the uh well i, I guess that'll be next up on uh, this podcast i suppose yeah I, I think that the you know just getting back to the the alien design and stuff like that it's a that that whole ship is really iconic. Like the the poster is the egg, which is iconic. The whole, just the the weirdness of this alien's life cycle is is very like we take it for granted now. But it's such a bizarre sort of alien storyline. I guess the reason that they wanted the face hugger was because they had to get a way to smuggle the alien into the ship in a story sense. There was there, they couldn't think of a way to yeah. have the alien get onto the ship without people noticing, and this was their way of getting around that. They didn't want to just put him in like a trench coat and a hat. No, or just have him crawl, crawl <laughs> sneak into on. the engines or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I I remember uh, I was on the the special features on the DVD. Um, basic, I felt I felt kind of bad for Dan O'Bannon because everybody who they were talking to that wasn't him or wasn't one of the other writers, uh, when talking about the script, like to a person, they were all like, "Yeah, you know, everybody told me that to read the script, Alien." And they all said the same thing. 
it's 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 pretty. T- it's not a good script, but there's one really good part in it. <laughs> of course, that turns out you'd be in the the chestburster scene. Sure, and yeah. like everybody says that, and I was like, oh, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's you know, a, enough to throw the guy throw the guy under the bus just because it's you know. It's a script that I'm sure it's a script that doesn't read well. I'm sure it's not. Yeah, as in, it's not. There's not a lot going on in the script. It's not a Tarantino yeah. script where you're like, oh, this dialogue yeah. is funny and things like that. Like this, it's a lot of I'm sure scene description and. I assume it's very short because there's not a lot of dialogue or things going on with people. Yeah, honestly, I think you you probably could like th- this kind of movie is one that kind of the script is just there as you know they always say oh the script is just like a, is a guideline and I 100% agree with that for this movie because uh, you could probably write this out as an outline and not lose anything right you know like you you with these actors who are this good. You could probably just outline scenes and be like, all right, now talk about this here. Okay, now talk about, okay, then this is going to happen. Like, it probably would read better as a outline of events than it would a full script. Yeah. And it's also, like reading the, dial, reading the dialogue in this movie is not going to be riveting. And it's a, you know, it's a, a big plus in the movie is how long it takes for the alien reveal, which I'm sure when you're reading a script does not come across very well. You kind of you want that first act thing to be like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, it doesn't have a inciting events really because it takes a long time. The movie yeah. is basically two different sections. There's the pre-alien and then there's the chest bursting scene and then there's post chest bursting scene. And it's it's funny to me how I much prefer the first half of the movie. Um, not that the second half is bad, but the it's always it strikes me how quickly once it goes into slasher film territory, how quickly the characters all die off at the very end. Like he, the alien just kind of cut mows through everybody. It's very efficient and it makes sense, but you don't spend a lot of time with them trying to survive. It, it's a lot more of time of them right. trying to figure out what's going on and trying to find it in the first place. And then them surviving is really quickly down to the point of the last four people alive is always very surprising to me. That's those people. Well, and I also, you know, going back to what I was saying about um, the uh, clever and smart way that they do kill people in this movie. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they, they do it. They do it very quickly once it starts. But I think like when you get to the end after after the reveal with Ash and all that kind of stuff, when it's just the three of them and then they kill two of them at once. Yeah. And I think that I think that's a really good choice because that really jacks everything up. And I think, you know, when you, uh, these movies tend to um, they can run into a problem when you hit this part of the story where stuff starts to drag. Yeah, where right. what you should be doing is this is where the ball should really start rolling downhill. And I think they really get that in this movie where it's kind of lulls. There's a lull when it's just the four of them. And then from Ash, from the Ash thing to the end of the movie, it's pretty much just like a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking um, of, you know, <laughs> if I was coming out of this movie in 1979 and everyone was like, oh, what was with that spaceship? I would say, I don't know. I'm more concerned with what was the thing where Ash was trying to shove that magazine in her mouth. <laughs> I've yeah, right. I've never understood what that thing was about. Ash is malfunctioning, right? That's what's going on with him. I believe so. He is because there's a they never really get into it, but he has a bunch of weird scenes. There's the scene where he is um getting everyone's getting ready to go visit the alien ship and he goes into his like isolated little radio room or whatever. He he does this thing where he jogs in place very quickly. It's like mm. an it's a sped up shot or something like that. And 
there's no reason for him to when he tries to trap Ripley in the the dining hall. He hasn't been injured before that to cause him to start leaking like that. So right. my assumption is that Ash is just malfunctioning this entire time. Something's gone wrong with him. And that that the magazine thing is just a weird, somewhat sexual uh, variation of what's going on there. But I, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly on the commentary or something, Ridley Scott talks about that, about how it's not a coincidence that he like picks up a porno mag and does this like vaguely you know rapey sexual thing yep. because he's a robot and doesn't understand how that like, like he gave this like weird psychosexual thing I was like, <laughs> a, okay a real killer would consider i shouldn't do this with a porno mag i'll do this yeah. with like a, a, a times <laughs> or something because it's too erotic well no i mean a real killer would do it with his dick basically like it was <laughs> oh, like at, ash ash doesn't understand like it's an aspect or something that he doesn't understand, so he's malfunctioning, and so it's like he's this weird, twisted perversion of of like this weird rape. Th- I don't know. It's it's a fair listening to him describe it. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's weird. That yeah. might be the weirdest thing in this movie. Does he not? Does he not get into what's gone wrong? Do you have any idea of what's gone wrong with Ash at this point? I, or? I honestly don't remember. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder if he. It's. I don't think it's something that needs to be said i feel like it works pretty well as it is but it it brings to mind to me john hurt is always mentioned as the sort of breakaway star in this for some reason like maybe not break he was nominated for best supporting actor in some on some level i don't know if the academy awards but for this movie i think so he's got like five lines in this yeah that's what's always surprising (laughs) to me is that when people say it i always i always go oh john hurt is ash because i feel that ian holm is the best takeaway actor from this like everything yeah. Ian home does in this is like sort of mesmerizing to watch on like a weird asmr type level where it's like he's yeah. doing all this very low-key but really cool work and it, it culminates in the um one of my favorite scenes and it's one of the greatest lines of all time is the i i when he after he's been dismantled they reconnect him and they want to ask him what mother was telling him um just this whole i won't tell you your chances but you have my sympathies is one of my favorite yes. lines yeah, that's a that's a great line. Ash, can you hear me? Ash. Yes, I can hear you. What was your special order? You read it. I thought it was clear. Just a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat, all of the priorities are ascended. How do we kill it, Ash? There's got to be a way of killing it. How? How do we do it? You can't. Bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. You admire it. 
Unfortunately, it's not supported by great special effects in that scene. No, but, when yeah. when they prop his head up and he turns from a puppet into a yeah. uh, into a real guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the but the android technology in this universe has always been a little bit odd. It's another thing. They're not surprised that he's they're surprised he's a robot, but they're not surprised that there's a robot walking around on the ship with them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I mean, that's you know, that's. Some of the fun stuff that you find going back and watching this movie is how much of that stuff is so consistent across the it's it's consistent but like I said before it's uh not presented in the in the normal way that you usually associate it with when when you're watching the franchise. Yeah. yeah. Like cuz after this movie it's like just a given that someone is a robot. Yes, right. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a movie I definitely would have liked to have seen with a, a fresh perspective. I'm sure I never saw this episode this movie without knowing what was going to be happening in it. Um yeah. you know that Sigourney Weaver is the star, you know that Ash is a ro- or you know that there's a robot on and things like that. Um but yeah, I guess we can we should probably just talk about the alien for a little bit. Um, I mean, the, my, in my opinion, the, the worst part of this movie is when Parker and Lambert are killed by the alien at the very end where it's the two for one deal that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend the most time on looking at the alien, which is clearly just a guy in a suit at that point. <laughs> it has the weird dolly shot where the alien sort of glides forward as it's walking and it, it doesn't yeah. look like it's walking. It looks like someone's just pulling it on like a skateboard. Um, and the the scene that scene felt more like the sort of cheesy slasher thriller scene where a woman is just screaming and she doesn't want to move. I, I understand it's a terrifying thing to be uh, confronted by this alien, but it it felt it felt clunky in a way. It felt to me like they just had to kind of want to get rid of these two characters, and this was the best way that they could come up to do it. Yeah, again, I think it's a uh, I think some of that is a, uh, a limitation of what they were doing too, because I mean, you know, you can't. You can't r- realistically show much of that suit and have it not look ridiculous. How so? Well, how good of a how good of a concept of what the alien is do you think you'd have just from this movie? It was trying to th- I was because I every, now after we've seen all the movies, you know what the aliens do. You know they have the little mouth thing. You know how they sort of look and everything. Mm-hmm. I think you if you only watch this movie, I'm not sure how great of an idea of what you have of what this thing like. If if someone asked yeah. you to draw it, what what would you draw? I think everyone would come up with very different drawings of what they saw from this thing. I would probably just draw the like the the domed head thing yep. and like those weird exhaust pipes coming off of its back. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't think you if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't really get much of it at all. And I think going back having such a, a working knowledge of what it does look like, I think hurts this movie a little bit because you can see how goofy it is in some spots. Yeah, like um, uh, there's this one there's this one shot where it's like it's very low lit and you're only seeing kind of like a silhouette but it does this like weird like hands out 
like cross step across the the, the frame kind of thing. It's, it's like this weird like ballet movement almost. That <laughs> right. just it's yeah. like if you know what the th- you you understand what this thing is, it looks really dumb. Yes, but yeah. not understanding what it looks like, I'm sure it just looked really creepy. And also at the end, um, I, f- I think it's the one at the end where it's hiding in among like the pipes on yeah. the escape ship. Yep. And you see the head, and when you just see the head moving, that's good. But then they do like a reveal, and it just sort of like goes blah and like sticks its arms out or yes. something, and yep. it looks really silly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the 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 more you're able to see that it's just a guy in a suit. Uh, the less like well it works like for the the scene where he's stuck in the uh, the pipes at the very end it's it's cheesy when the arm comes out and everything but the way that the actor actually falls out of the thing is good in my opinion mm-hmm. like it kind of slithers out of the uh, pipes that it's stuck between yeah um, I, I mean my my biggest problem with the movie actually is I don't think they do a very good job of wrapping up the ending with what the alien is doing and and stuff like that like it it acts totally unlike it has acted previously in the movies mm-hmm. when they get to that very end and it's sort of stuck in the pipes and doesn't seem to want to react to her, even though she's clearly moving around in front of it. Um, what, what, what did you think? Do you, do you feel that it's a problematic or do you think it's just a uh, something that you kind of enjoy and you can justify it? Yeah, I think at that point in the movie, whatever. It's, <laughs> it's you know, you just, you got to wrap it up. And I I don't I don't really know what else you would do. Um, yeah. I think one of the, the odd things, though, is uh, if you actually look at what the alien is doing and why it's doing it, it's not really clear. Like, is it... Do you mean just because, at the you know, end obviously, or do you, do you mean throughout the no, whole thing? No, just throughout the, the, throughout the whole movie. Because, like, okay. m- moving forward... We have the knowledge that there is some sort of abduction element where they, I guess, cocoon still, you. It's no, still not really totally clear. Yeah, but they cocoon you. Um, and I think there's an implication that, like, your cocooning is what creates the egg or something. That, I, you, I don't do know. Do you know that I, that it's, is it's, actually, it's, that's actually a cut scene from this movie? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's in it's in the director's cut. I actually like it. I, I like that scene because uh, um, you know it adds that stuff back. It, it adds that element back in, which I've always liked. And it's uh, Ripley gets to see what happened to Dallas, which is pretty creepy. But, see, the criticism is um, that it happens to her, during her escape, and people think it slows it down too much. But you don't you don't oh, seem yeah, to think. Oh yeah, I that? would agree. Okay. No, I, I like the scene. I think I think I think the theatrical cut is the better cut. Um. But you know, I just I think it's a, it's a cool scene just for you know completion's sake. Gotcha. Um, but like, yeah, if I mean, I don't know if I guess w- when you have that knowledge, it's a little a little less clear because if you're if you just look at if you have that knowledge that there is an abduction element, then I'm not sure if his goal is if the alien's goal is to kill people or if it's to abduct people to propagate the species, right? Or if it's somewhere in the middle. Um, but when, when you cut that out, I guess it is clearly it's just a, a it's a it's a killing. It's kind of a self defense thing. And I mean, um, I, I mean, what, I guess uh, at the end, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I guess at the end, the difference is it turns from a self defense thing into just like an actively predatory thing. Yeah, I mean, my th- the way that I would fit it into canon of the rest of the series is that this is just one of the worker aliens, right? But right on a on a species level, I would think that the first alien to come out would be the queen alien because you kind of need the queen to go forward. So 
Yeah. I don't know what good it does with this alien capturing people and cocooning them. Uh, th- and this is all just criticism of knowing what the movies do afterwards. But the... Yeah, yeah. The, I guess the original alien would have just been that there was no queen and these uh, these things can turn people into eggs, which turn into other aliens, which m- maybe actually makes more of a sense than having the queen alien does that they eventually do and turn it into like a hive of uh, bees or something like that. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the queen is a more more visually interesting way to go. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. And it's more uh, it's more relatable than just you can just turn people into an egg sort of like you can yeah, transform yeah. them into an egg and then they turn into yeah. a monster. Um, yeah, I just, I think that the, I, I find the ending scene a little bit, um, sort of just a little bit odd. Once she gets onto the escape thing, the alien doesn't move around for some reason. It's stuck there. She gets into, um, her spacesuit after doing the, uh, the sort of stripped down thing, which people complain about, but I don't really have a problem with because it's, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I mean, she's, I, Go ahead. Well, it's supposed to, to me, it's not a sexual thing. He's symbolizing the fact that she's right. sort of defenseless at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's always how I took it. Yeah. And it's, you know, if anything, the only thing it really sparks conversation is would people who work on a engineering ship in space wear underwear like that, I think, is the uh, the main sort of takeaway <laughs> that people always go I guess, like. Yeah, that, you, you could argue that they might have a couple shots of her butt that, maybe they don't need yeah, but uh right. i i don't think the intent in i don't think it's meant to be exploitative let's put it that way no no i think it's i think purely it's supposed a, to, i think it's meant yeah i think it's meant more to be a uh you know exactly what you said stripped down to the most vulnerable position she could be in right yeah in a, in a close quarters with this thing and then she just kind of shoots it out the the uh the airlock and it goes into the engine they do the um, effect which is them just they dripped water with back yeah. water onto the camera and that's how they got this sort of space burning effect which it does not look like water until you know it's water and then it only yeah. looks like water it looks great doesn't it it does look nice yeah it's very it's very very cool and then it's um and then it just it wraps up with a, a pretty 70s sort of ending of things where she's just like well hopefully someone finds me i'm gonna go to sleep now and then it <laughs> cuts to black yep it's uh pretty 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 solid i think it's um yeah, I think it's you know it's considered a sort of modern classic. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have a. It's probably in my top ten movie list. Might be in a top five type space, but it's a. It's just really satisfying to watch on a lot of levels, and it's just it everything works out really well. Really, Scott gets to do his things with his lighting. Um, obviously, as you said, it inspired everything that came after it. Uh, has a lot of great actors in it and has people that uh, a lot of oh it's that guy in it and things like yep. that it's a, it's, yep. it's, a, it's just really really well and it's a it's a script that as you were saying we've been complaining about scripts that try to do too much end up not doing much of anything at all mm-hmm. and you know the more they try to explain the origin of the alien franchise the worse the movies become and you just want to keep it simple right. sort of like this and maybe right. James Cameron's aliens is the most complicated that you'd actually want to get with what's going on here yeah, and I, you know, I would say as far as um, <clears throat> movies about aliens go, if I wanted to open that umbrella of a genre, uh, it's this and the thing are the top two for me. Okay, like I don't, I don't really think it gets much better than that. I was, I was thinking, what if you? There must be like a fan cut where someone, every time you see the alien in this movie, someone has like spliced in ET or something like that, just <laughs> just to make these uh, the matchup work. But it's a. Uh, 
yeah, it's just it's just really iconic and everything. Just from the the face hugger down to the the chest burster scene. What do you think of the chest burster scene? Why do why why do you think it's iconic? I guess, and do you think it holds up at this point? I think it holds up. Um, Even the aliens sort of scene. looking around at the at the very end. Yeah, that's a little weird. I think that holds up better than when it runs away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's well, just I, like I, a like a lollipop stick running across the thing. He's in, really Scott's intentionally trying to play that for comedy, right? Because the way everyone looks, like everyone kind of looks down the hallway at the way that it was running. I always yeah. feel that he's filming that for a comedic effect. Like you're not going to expect what's coming. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's it's well staged because it's so horrible that the only way to respond to that is just to just like is is um hilarity. Right. Yeah. Or right. Uh, or what's hysteria, I guess. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think that's a really good choice to 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 play it just like complete and utter shock about what's happening to the <laughs> point where it's 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 kind of funny. Right. And I guess that scene when they did that scene um the actors didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So the response when it when it bursts out of his chest and the blood goes everywhere is completely real. Specifically, Veronica Cartwright, who was very upset. Yeah, they were. Who they, did not know what was going to happen, and she got like a geyser of blood in the face and right, just they, started <laughs> losing it. And that's that's what happens in the movie. That what her reaction is what's in the movie. Yeah, it's the uh, they knew that the alien was supposed to come out, but they didn't know the effects, what the effects were going to look like. That was actually going right. to do right. So yeah, it's it's. A, which I think is a, a good way to get some realistic reactions. Her shriek or whatever is definitely a natural response to that uh that like air pressure pop or whatever they do yeah. with the blood that comes out. And what's what's really interesting too is it it part of what makes it so scary is is that the effect broke. Oh really? So if you notice if you notice when it's coming out, the first time it comes out, it doesn't break the shirt. It just yep. kind of like lurches out and then comes back. That wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed oh. to be a clean break. I see. And so it lurches out, and I think ev- you know everybody watching it froze, and everybody watching the movie freezes, and then it comes out. And I think <laughs> that it really it's an unintended unintended um, uh, added layer of 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 confusion and, and terror. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah, I think that scene. I think it's just so unexpected, and nothing like that had. You've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why it, it holds up so well and why it was so effective. And something I just to, to wrap it up with that is like the the reaction to it afterwards is funny. And I would feel that a modern movie would have a hard time where they, they give him a funeral. Right. And Dallas is like, anyone want to say anything? And no one says anything about him. And then they just shoot yeah. uh, Kane's body into space. And that's the end of it. You get a you know, you get a, a sense of their they aren't really friends here. Like the movie isn't trying to make people into friends. They're just coworkers who kind of don't really know each other because they sleep for most of the journey. Um, right. And yeah, it's just, it's a nice uh, sort of touching, totally in line with the rest of the ethos of the movie. Well, I think we uh, will wrap it up here. We've gone over an hour, about an hour and 15. So, um, but that's it. We did alien Ridley Scott's very best. We'll be back with uh, a good year, which will be Ridley Scott's worst at 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time with Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott's a good year. <laughs>